I don't teach piano to create a bunch of protégés. My teaching philosophy is all about how can I equip my students for life. Throw out homework, worksheets, ominous buildings, hall passes, herds of students, grades, all of it. What would you build? If you start with the amazing thing that is a young person, how would you honor all of their strengths and abilities? How would you remember that this is about them? If Dewey was right, and education is not preparation for life, education is life itself. We need to do more than rebuild schooling. We need to rethink living. Welcome to the Education is Life podcast, where we are having honest discussions on the state of education, where it is, where it can be, and all of the stories in between. Welcome back to Education is Life. Rob Hugie here. Uh, exciting uh, episode for you today. We have Adrian Schroeder with us, who is the creator and founder of Mindful Music. Uh, and her approach to teaching music, how she uses it in her own life, on her own journey, um, and how she brings that to her students is just truly a great story and super excited to share that with you today. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And we're happy to have you. So, uh, you know, doing some research about you and uh, one of the lines from your website really got me. It was, I was raised by music, magicians. I was raised by musicians, right? But it felt like magicians. It felt like, you know, this statement felt more like uh, I was raised by wolves, like the <laughs> statement that had to be made. Um, what, what was it like growing up in a house full of music? To me, it felt like breathing. Um, and I think I didn't realize what it was like until I got out of grad school and I looked around and I was not around musicians for the first time ever. And I was like, oh, we, we do some interesting things. <laughs> yeah, my folks met in music school. And then so I was just from the time I was born surrounded by music, like always around my mom's marching band and I mean they'd be gigging and so it would be me and my two siblings like at the gigs like wrangling each other somewhere in the audience and <laughs> and then my dad was the music director at the church I grew up going to so it was just constantly a part like the piano was always being played and yeah, it sounds like it was part of just the the culture the fabric of the family and and the community that both your parents ended up surrounding themselves with mm -hmm. a marching band. I don't know too many adults in marching bands. Well, she she was an educator, so she had like a high school marching band that I was cool. just around all the time. And so uh, I'm assuming you weren't someone who was uh, forced to sit at the piano and practice for uh, your hour practice every day. It was something that came more naturally than that. I I think I loved, I had a natural love for music. There was also like, anything my parents told me to do like I didn't I wanted to do the direct opposite so <laughs> there was some of that like you have to do this and you know but I really did love it I started on piano and just being in the culture of something that was really instilled in us from a very young age is like your purpose on the planet is to like do your best I was always in competitions, like starting really, really young with piano, and I loved it. At the same time, just the competitive culture of like going for a whole day on a Saturday and going to like eight different rooms with eight different judges when you're like six is, it can be harsh and aggressive. So it was, 
it was an, a dichotomy. It was like I loved music, and then also it just gradually this like shadow side of it started showing up. I think what I needed was I had ingrained so much perfectionism just being part of audition culture and like my self-worth was a hundred percent attached to how I played on any given day and it was like paralyzing not to mention not fun like it's not fun (laughs) to live life when you you know feel bad about yourself and who you are all the time so I think letting other people define, letting other people tell you whether you're good or not your whole life, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, especially in classical music, there's like, for hundreds of years, it's been played this way. So, like, this is the right way. And, again, a paradox because it's like, I respect the art form very much. At the same time, I really respect creativity. So, it's like, how do I hold both? Um for me and my journey and why music is still such at the forefront, like why I didn't quit is because of mindfulness and like taking a step back and, you know, doing that myself and then come and then I missed it. It's like, I miss playing. I miss, you know, all of this stuff. So I came back to it with that approach and I played the best that I've ever played after integrating that. and. People say, I can't remember who said this, but like music is what feelings sound like. I totally resonate with that. It's it's stories. You're telling stories. Like if someone else wrote it, you're telling someone else's story. And it's like, you're like an actor. You're like bringing it to life. Okay. And um, it's how humans connect. Like you can feel someone else's story. And something that I say all the time is music is empathy in real time. Because you're like, okay, I, I see you, like I see your story. And then um, the other way around, I think it's important not to lose your identity in other people's stories as an artist. So I think from that perspective, it's important to share your own. Having not grown up in a conservatory type culture and only seen bad movies about it, right? The people who really enjoy that style and that approach to music, I'm assuming they consider themselves to be artists, right? Mm -hmm. But it does seem to lack that creativity. It feels like you are that kind of like, do this exactly as it's always been done. And if you can master that, then you can try something even harder to do Mm -hmm. how it's always been done. And you kind of can, so you get to, I don't know, Tchaikovsky or something who, you know, and some super technical, difficult piece that I'd imagine is also giving them a sense of satisfaction that they are able to, to move up that ladder and do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, how many people end up going through this struggle that you did of that? Like, I want to be more creative and take a different path. I would say in terms of the, of the creativity, like you can definitely find creativity for sure in classical and it's more... I would say that's more in chamber music rather than like if you're sitting in an orchestra, like the person at the front waving the baton is going to be like the painter. And then every person, every person playing is like a color. So he get he usually gets to choose the color. I would say a lot of people go through that 
in terms of like the relationship with yourself in relation to your playing, I've never met a musician that hasn't gone through that struggle or continues to because it's well, so this, personal. Uh, yeah, this meditative moment that you had, uh, you know, what what was the catalyst for doing that to taking that step back? And how did you choose the tools that you were going to use during that time? Had you started meditating prior to that? Uh, just kind of how did it all play out? Um, I've been obsessed with professional, well, professional and personal development. There was a moment I went to a conference when I was an undergrad with my future teacher for my master's, and he did this whole presentation. And one of the things he said is, everything is a choice. And at the time, I was like, this guy is like totally off his rocker. <laughs> like, like everything's not a choice. Like I have to do all the ABCD. And it was, it was such a flip. And then one of my friends next to me, they like handed me a note with a quote on it. And it was another aha moment. It was like, um, put your oxygen mask on first before assisting others. And it was just a bunch of stuff like that that I had never been exposed to before. And so for me, that was a flip. But it didn't come to full fruition until the end of my master's. I had my recital and I did not play well. Like my mental game was so off. My heart game was completely off. Um, I felt like I didn't even know who I was. And I definitely, I think a lot of musicians go through this as well. Like I was so unhappy, like I had a drinking problem and it was having some really difficult moments with that that I finally was like, okay, I'm hurting people around me. I'm hurting myself. Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And it was like, full stop, like, slam on the brakes. Yeah, big moments. Yeah. And I'm grateful I had them at such a relatively young age. Like, that all came to fruition in my early 20s. So, hopefully front-loaded most of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what advice would you give to other people stuck in that same kind of moment? I would say, listen to the whisper. Like, so mysterious. Yeah, like there's a there's a whisper in your heart that is telling you where you want to go and like what's possible. And you're a human, and humans struggle, and humans make mistakes, and humans learn, and sometimes it's painful. And it's all about getting back up and loving yourself while you get back up. Great story. Very, uh, that is a lot to go through uh, by the time you're in your early 20s. But, you know, it also means that you have the rest of your life to keep learning from those uh, mistakes that you made early on. Mm -hmm. um, or uh, not even necessarily mistakes, just experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, recognizing that that's not who you wanted to be and what was going on. So you, you dove into what type of a meditation do you do? I was just doing, you know, Deepak Chopra, like the guided for a while. And now I'm doing like, I'll do mantra based or I'll just, I'm a big fan of Lauren Roche right now. Um, it's more like come as you are and not so much dogmatic. It's his thing is the only 
way you can do it wrong is to try. It's like just being with yourself. Um, so I still, I do it every morning. It's greasing the wheels. That and just, I was reading books, 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 like psychology and philosophy and I'm on this a whole like yoga deep dive right now. So. No. And I noticed, uh, you know, you also have this, you're still taking horn lessons from my understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, and not so, super regularly at this point, but yeah. And so I think that just speaks to like a lifelong understanding of what mastery is like and what it takes to really stay up with your craft in a way that you, you enjoy that you're never, mm-hmm. there's always something to be learned, some new way to try things and develop. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think very many young people think of like their teachers uh, or their parents even, or other people like still taking lessons and stuff. You're old, you should know how to do that. Um, and so I think that's a, a great model and a great story. I, how did, when did you decide that you wanted to work with young people? Oh, it was an accident. <laughs> I, I first, I moved up to Chicago. So during that whole, um, like my life unraveling after grad school, I moved to Chicago. I didn't know anybody and I had $300 and no job. And I was like, well, people go to cities to gig. So I'm doing that. Like I went to, I did my master's at Indiana. So I came up here and just worked. I just, you know, made it happen. And 2015, 20, like 2015 to 2016, my whole goal when I got up here was like, I want to be doing music full time. Like that's like a huge milestone. Like I want to pay my rent and do everything just only with music income. So then I got a teaching job and became part of a teaching group where I was teaching in-home piano lessons. And that was more of like teaching the private lessons. I was just like, this is what musicians do. Like they teach lessons during the day and then they gig at night. Like my head was totally in gig land um, with not really thinking too much about pursuing teaching long-term. And then I just fell in love with it just connecting and and thinking about my experiences and like the harsh teaching situations that, that I had been in and like making a personal vow like I I want to be a transmutation of that like I want to be the opposite of that like I want to rather than like push what would it be like to help people rise and include the mindfulness because I think excellence and mindfulness, it's not one or the other. I think I don't teach piano to create a bunch of protégés. My teaching philosophy is all about how can I equip my students for life because consistency, expression, like autonomy, trusting your intuition, um, creativity, independent thinking, following through on what you say you're going to do, like all of these things are life skills. And I think music is, first of all, a really fun vehicle to learn it. And second of all, like I realized when I entered the world out of conservatory, I automatically had this toolbox as a musician 
that I didn't know was going to help me and everything else, but it did. So I'm just consciously seeking to give that to my students. That's really interesting. I mean, I think of Greenfields very much the same way, right? Where I don't really care if you become a great writer or a a mathematician or like, I want you to find something that's going to use your talents and your strengths and make you a, a full and content person. I can't predict what that's going to be for you. We, you know, and I don't know how many people, I mean, you might, you're probably on the rarer side of this that, you know, in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade knew what they wanted to do the rest of their lives um, Mm -hmm. or just had music as part of that. But we don't even know what the world's going to look like by the time these kids get out of school, right? The the talk is that 85% of the jobs that will be out there don't even exist today. Uh, when you think about the speed of change that we're going through, uh, all we can really do is equip them uh, with the tools. And so we really use the content of math and reading and writing uh, as ways to develop lifelong skills in terms of holding yourself to high standards, setting good goals, um, being a good partner, being a good leader, being a good follower, all those other types of things that are going to help you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- yeah, I think music definitely falls into that. Uh, I know your approach to teaching is different than like your classical piano teacher or uh, horn instructor. Uh, when did you start to develop your teaching philosophy and uh, what does it look like? So I first started thinking about it just based on my own story. And also like I started teaching high school horn lessons and it would be like these kids not following through on what they said they were going to do. And I'm like, okay, this, I guess that's something we're going to be learning. Like, and I think it was again, just me having my eyes opened after being in conservatory for so long. Um, but a huge shift was the 2016 election. And I, it became very, very clear to me that there were a lot of people and just the culture was lacking empathy, independent thinking, and being able to express things and listen and things that I think are just human. And it was so divisive. And I, I, I remember I journaled and I was like very upset. I, I went to, I went to where I was teaching and they said the Pledge of Allegiance and it, and they said liberty and justice for all. And I like went to the bathroom and cried. And then I like went home and journaled and I was like, okay, what can I do in my current medium to make a difference? And like, I came up with, it's like, it's three pillars. It's autonomy awareness and expression it's like a circle it's like a cycle so the first it's everything based on autonomy like everything is a choice you know it's the margaret mead not saying what to think maybe how to think like asking awesome questions and then helping them ask themselves questions and just really i think a lot of times people get to be 18 and then all of a sudden they have to make all these decisions but they've never actually made one before and it's like we set them up for failure so i really believed in that especially the independent thinking and then the second part awareness so that's when the mindfulness comes in and like music is a great vehicle for this because 
you're constantly becoming more aware of your playing. Like, oh, what were the notes? Like, how did this sound? Did I like that? Did it work? And the cool thing about awareness is you get to take the observer view. It's like neutral. It's just information. It's like the note either matched what's on the page or it didn't. It's not like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person because I played a wrong note. Um, so really heightening the awareness and not only of themselves, but like the world around them. So that's like when you play with other people, like, are you listening? Like, can you match the vibe? It's like emotional intelligence to me. And then the third thing, expression, is combining the first two. So like their own ideas and thoughts based in awareness that they've gained about themselves and the world expressed out into the world, like their own gifts and unique ideas and unique genius out into the world. And it's like lather, rinse, repeat. <laughs> and I was saying to, to you before we recorded, like, I do this in my life. It's like it all starts with autonomy. And then, okay, awareness. Gather information, gather information, and it's just information. And then expression. And then we go again. Do you, uh, do you have your students record themselves and listen to themselves? Is mm -hmm. that part of the awareness piece? or? Yeah, it depends on their age. A lot of times we do it in real time, just reflection right after. And something that I ask first now, which I didn't used to, is how does it, how did it feel? There's a lot of information usually in that question. And so how, how do you change those questions based on age? I mean, I think they're the like similar questions. I might ask them in a different way or have more depth for like the older kids and based on their personality as well. With the younger ones, I still ask how it felt though, because I think that's important. So something I, I, I don't think it varies that much because I think they're people, right? And, and if we talk down to younger kids, then I feel like they behave or identify down. So I usually, I mean, I'm not dropping F-bombs all day with my <laughs> five-year-olds. It's just the 10-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think I talk to them pretty similar, actually. I think uh, one of the things as adults we miss about young people is they may not be many adults, but they are full-fledged humans with all the emotions and feelings that come with that. And to not honor those things in them, it does get them to think that they don't matter, their opinions mm -hmm. don't matter, that nobody hears them. I, and I see so many adult to young person interactions that are very from a authoritarian type spot. And I know best, even when they're like sharing their own stories, like I'm only going to share a story about when I fell down and got back up. I'm never going to share a story about when I just like collapsed and couldn't get back up and cried mm -hmm. for two weeks. Right. Because I know they need to be strong. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we put young people through these days, you know, just with the overscheduling, I mean, not anymore. Uh, when we first started doing this podcast, uh, the pandemic had just started. And so we put like little, hey, this one was taped during the pandemic, right? And so it's probably going to be different. And now we're like 10 months in and it's like, no, no, it's just, <laughs> it is, right? 
Yeah. But uh, so these times, like going to that much less scheduled time uh, has been great for our family and being able to like spend more time together um, and talk about things that are meaningful rather than like rushing around from place to place and Mm -hmm. doing all these extracurricular activities uh, in addition to loading them up with a bunch of homework uh, and not allowing them to make any decisions. And because of the way college admissions work, or if you're unfortunate enough to have to deal with the CPS system and how selective enrollment high schools work, mm-hmm. you basically aren't allowed to make an academic mistake if you want yeah. to keep your opportunities open. And I think the, the pressure on that is, is ridiculous and it breaks mm-hmm. a lot of kids. And I've actually had get, a conversation specifically about that recently. And to what end, right? Even what, even what we do for the, to them in college, I mean, in high school, in the name of getting into college, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, you're going to go to class for what, 30 hours a week. Then we're going to give you another 15 to 20 hours worth of homework on top of that. And then you need to do a sport, some type of extracurricular to make sure your resume looks good. Um, so you're up until midnight, one o'clock every night. And throughout every day of that, you are making no decisions. Everything's been laid out for you. Mm-hmm. And then you get to college and you're doing what? 12 hours of class a week, maybe 15. And you're needing to figure out when you're going to do your homework or wh- how you're going to structure working on this 20 page paper. Mm-hmm. Um, or even just the discipline and self-regulation of going out and you know, what happens to that? Like we do a very poor job of helping them become, well, to use your words, right? Helping them understand uh, that they are the ones who are making the decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Making the, helping them be aware of everything that's going on around them and finding ways to express themselves that express the best parts of themselves and mm-hmm. improves their community right? The, those are the skills that you need. And I think K-12 does a pretty, pretty poor job of preparing people for college. Not to mention college does a pretty poor job of preparing people for the world after college. You're not calling AAA. You're not like, you have to figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. And then you believe that you are capable of figuring things out and solving problems. And that gives like that authentic sense of I can handle stuff and mm-hmm. I can handle adversity as it comes my way and I can come up and solve problems. And I think it's such a lost skill, uh, but such an important one. And one that like that being on a farm, that sense of self-reliance is so much stronger than what you get living in a big city where the message most young people get is you're not capable of looking after yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't walk across the big street. You can't uh, go to the park by yourself. You can't mm-hmm. ride the train by yourself, right? All these things. And then suddenly you're in college all by yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, here we go. Right. So my whole thing is like, let's flip the script. And I'm, I'm like, one of these people is going to solve climate change. And if they don't believe in themselves, like the world isn't going to get their gifts. And like, oh my gosh. I'm like waving a flag. I'm like, you guys, we can't. <laughs> I mean, we could. It's not going to serve us in a positive way, but like we can change the culture and let people be who they are and then light a fire under them so they can grow. Yeah, I think uh, with the advent of artificial intelligence and that becoming such an overwhelming piece and, you know, we spend years and years teaching young people how to do math 
by hand that a computer is always going to be better than the Mac. And, uh, you know, I, to me, that's like, well, what if we instead spend our time understanding what math can do and then how to use computers to do that math for us? And I think, you know, we also do the children's business fair every year. And uh, I think that's one where the amount of people who feel like they need to go into a corporate job, a, you know, get work my way up to middle management, uh, get stocks options, and that's how I'm going to be successful. Yeah, the kids always figure it out faster. You know, that's one of the things with the the team at Greenfields and other schools like ours is, you know, if we can't figure out what the answer is, just ask the kids because they have a better answer than anyone we're going to come up with anyway. Right. And so get them involved in that. And then having that sense of ownership, it's not a sense of ownership. It is an ownership, right? Getting people to understand that you are the protagonist in your story, right? Mm -hmm. Take control of your story. This education thing, this isn't something that's happening to you. This is about you. This is for you. How can you best own that? Right. How can you get into that and be that? And we do, uh, we do mindfulness every day. We're looking at uh, getting some more pieces in there, but everyone's like, so we have a lot of people are struggling. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were looking for some way to help young people through it. Because what I've noticed a lot too, is that parents are struggling in their own way, right. And Mm -hmm. in their own right. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where they tend to talk down, maybe isn't always the right word, but talk with authority, um, talk with, I know what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And so in this place we're in, so many people don't. So they're not actually having deep conversations with their kids about how are you doing? How are you feeling? How is this impacting you? Um, So there's a lot of kind of this like loneliness that kind of gets Mm -hmm. tucked in there. And, and on the flip side, some people, and I'm sure you've seen some of it, right? They've mastered new instruments. They've taken this time to really do mm-hmm. some amazing self-improvement pieces. Uh, so we wanted to pro- provide a forum for them to be able to come to and just share, you know, what, what has this pandemic been like for you? Mm-hmm. And make it as accessible as possible. So if you wrote a new piece of music or you got to, you learned how to perform a new piece of music really well and you're proud of that, like that can be something that you would share. Um or if it's a darker piece, right? There can be some music therapy, some art therapy mm-hmm. to uh, make them feel better and, and make them feel heard and give them a chance to express themselves mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I think it's going to be fascinating. To I love, I love hearing young people's stories and where they're coming from and what they're working on and what they're doing. And I, I also can't imagine any, in my lifetime for sure, there has never been anything save some big war that the whole globe has gone through at the same time. Mm-hmm. And we're all going through this. And so how can we use this as a time to bond and a time to like reach out to each other and a time to listen to each other? Um, so we're doing this project called My Pandemic Life that we're going to be launching this week. Really wanting, again, giving people those tools, right? So this is about skill building as much as it is about expression. When you are going through something and being able to reflect on that, being able to share about that, um, being able to produce something from that is some uh, skills you're going to be able to use the rest of your life. But, you know, what, what have you seen young people kind of going through during this time as you've been, I'm assuming you're doing virtual lessons or are you doing? Yeah, I, I dabbled with some in-person lessons this summer and then we, I had a positive case and I just went back and surprisingly with piano 
I wasn't, I, it was like, okay, like closing my eyes and shooting the arrow, like, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> but it ended up being great. Like, like the quality is, I would say like between 90, it's not a hundred, obviously, because I'm not right there with them energy wise, but it's like upper nineties. I would say it takes more emotional energy to connect through the screen. But what I've seen is just, I, I had one student, like, he said he was repeating the stock market's going to crash for, like, 10 minutes straight, like, at the beginning of everything, and just lots of tears, lots of I miss my friends, and I think it's been really, really important for them to have the outlet of music, and something that I started doing is I always ask at the beginning, I'm like, well, how, how are you? Like, where are you on your COVID scale? And so it's just like one is I feel like crap. And then 10 is like, I want to be in quarantine forever. <laughs> so it's a way of acknowledging the reality and like leaning into it if it's organic. It also helps it not bury us every time. So it's like, acknowledging the elephant in the room like how are you doing it's gotten better I feel like initially it was very very emotional and I saw a lot of just things with the kids themselves and then like interactions with the parents with a lot of like frantic stressful energy for everybody and then I feel like there was a groove and then around the holidays it got I think more stressful again I think we're hitting another groove but I think I, I've had like one student be like, I'm just so like, I'm glad that I get to just log on and do piano. Like I look forward to this and I get to like play my songs and it's fun and it's an outlet. Like I don't think feeling, feelings are meant to be felt, right? So it's a way of, of expressing the truth of what you're experiencing and who you are and just like any other art form, I think it's a beautiful outlet, especially now to like spend time with yourself and have fun and work on something that you enjoy rather than, I mean, I was about to say rather than be glued to a screen, but we're all glued to a screen <laughs> these days. So, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of challenges and most of my kids are either, some of them go to school in real life, but the ones in CPS are are struggling there's like zoom burnout and I've I've been more flexible with because like when I was going to people's homes I would never go for just a half an hour because it's not worth the travel but like right. I've been doing half hour or like oh do you want to do two 20 minute like just because if they are in zoom from eight to three their eyes are like bloodshot at three so yeah, I guess I've seen the whole gamut of things. Yeah, that's a unparalleled times. That's for mm -hmm. sure. And uh, yeah. you know, with the vaccine on the horizon, hopefully that's going to help get things back. It'll be interesting. Like, you know, people are the the grand debate of like, I don't want to get back to normal. I want to get back to better, uh, and that type of thing. But um, yeah, I. Uh, at this point, I'm, I don't know if we'll be able to get the older kids who are just coming one day a week in person right now, if we'll be able to get them back in school. 
uh, for longer before the school year's up. Um, mm-hmm. I really hopeful we try to create some different social outlets uh, for them to be able to do things, some different creative stuff. You know, we're we're about a half project-based school, so they've been able to do some fun projects and do that type of stuff. But it's it's hard to be at home. And uh, again, like my son, my eighth grader, like on that one to 10 scale, like I would say a good number of days, he's at that 10. <laughs> he's like, I could do quarantine forever. This is great. I, That's how I felt like, at the beginning. I was like, <laughs> I'm reaching my introvert potential. Like, <laughs> And my, my youngest is a different story. Like he just, he is a people person. And uh, so he definitely kind of hit this gloom, melancholy type stage over the summer. And then being able to get him back with some uh, friends in class has been like a huge boon. Like in the first two days, you could just tell how much happier he was and how much uh, that light started to come back on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I just want us kind of to your point of the opening every session with a one to 10 scale and how do you feel right now? Where are you on this COVID thing? You know, we do that at school too, but I think that's also where this, my, my pandemic life is kind of coming from is like, let's go broader. Like let's lean into mm-hmm. this and let's not pretend that it's not having an impact. Right. You and, right. uh, and, and maybe, and maybe it is a good impact. Right. And that's why it's like, feel free to share whatever you want. Mm-hmm. My, my, my 10, he is a, you ever hear a Wim Hof? Oh yeah. Oh, I take ice showers every day. <laughs> I'm a, I'm that person. I literally. <laughs> that is hysterical. He is, he is super into Wim Hof uh, for Christmas. He got a, a poster. Uh, he has, he has a sweatshirt that said a uh, cold is my friend. Oh my God. Um, and uh, he, he's trying to plan. I don't know where he is on the planning right now, but he's trying to plan a polar plunge. Uh, into, I was just into texting my friend about a polar plunge this morning. <laughs> so that is a, that is funny. And I don't even know why I brought it up. Oh, that was something that he got into. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing videos on deliberate practice so other people can understand what that's like. And, uh, you know, his, it's become a big part of him is that I can master new and complex things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also pretty happy doing that by myself in my room. So mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> but it's also different. I can't imagine like when I was a kid, we didn't have ways of connecting other than in person. Uh, three-way calling came out on phones when I was in high school. So, uh, you know, you'd get on the house phone and there's only one in the house, so no one else was allowed to use it. And then you could hook up with two other people at the same time. Could you imagine? And, uh, or the pandemic in like 1918, like I can't imagine what that was, what that was like. Well, and I keep saying that too, like, when people get pissed about technology or like exhausted, like it makes sense. And I am so grateful because can you imagine like, like the, I mean, not only disconnection, loss of jobs, loss of like, I'm so grateful for technology. And honestly, I have felt more deeply connected with people. Like, for example, this, I have never met anybody at Greenfields in real life. (laughs) That's just so weird. (laughs) And yet I feel really connected to your community. So yeah, we we have students who I've never met in person. Yeah. Like that just seems so weird to me. Like how how is that even possible? 
Yeah, and that's something too. Like with piano, I started. I've started kids virtually. And again, it was one of those things. I'm like, okay, let's roll the dice. Like, see what happens here. And I feel so connected to them. And we're like sending each other holiday cards. And I know their dogs names and all like, it's, it's pretty magical. It's awesome. And getting the little tours of the house and stuff. Yeah. And also just watching them light up when they play a song or like, have a breakthrough at the piano or something that I do is I they can create their own songs but like if they want to play Taylor Swift or Frozen or anything like that like I just arrange it for their level and so it's like a joy thing it's a presence thing it's awesome yeah Yeah, our holiday uh, get together for the guides for the staff was we um we had gift baskets for everybody. And I keep joking with Dana on Instagram. I'm like, it's my soulmate school. Like, <laughs> like we have the same mission in a different outfit. Like, <laughs> mine's just music. So, yeah. And, and I think awesome. it's a, and I think that's a, a great way of saying it too, because I feel like extracurriculars, whether they be sports or music or physical art or performance art, whatever it is that's where so many young people do develop kind of their sense of identity and do develop their skills because it's something that at least most of the time they chose to do. (laughs) Right. Uh, Sometimes their parents made them do it understood, but it's like, this is something they chose to do something that they want to experience something that they want to get better at. And that is so key to true skill development and deeper learning and understanding of yourself. And if we can get that to happen within the school day, I think then we're like really leveraging these kids to, to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. But I, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Oh yeah. Do you, do you have your horn near you? Or piano? It's over. I have my piano there. Yeah. Maybe you can give us some outro Ooh. music, some uh, some move some pandemic my, uh, outro, mu- outro music. Here, let me move my get up here. I'm all <laughs> hooked into everything. I just always feel strange talking to a musician and never have them <laughs> never hear any of their music. I'll stand up with the keyboard. How about that? Ooh, that's exciting. Adrian, thanks for joining us today. I uh, had a really great time. Uh, you can find uh, Adrian's site at adrianschroeder.com. And I think you could probably even contact you if you were interested in getting some lessons and stuff through there. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. I'm accepting new piano students and I would love to serve you, help you access yourself and share the love, share the music. Yeah, so if you if you like her approach to uh, to learning, and I certainly do, uh, it's much better than uh, sitting there and doing scales all day, which I'm sure they also have to do some of. So, uh, we we sprinkle um, it in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, definitely look her up. Uh, Adrian, it was great having you on today. Great seeing you again, and uh, look forward to actually seeing you in person someday. 
Yeah, what if we hugged? That would be cool. <gasps> Is that ever going to be allowed again? <laughs> One day. Some someday we will give a uh, nice to see you old friend hug. Yeah. Even though it'll be the first time that we met. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. And uh, thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and we will catch you on the next episode of Education is Life.